WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to the Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series that explores student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts, Madi Dowling and Dimitri Joseph. Today we have Kyo Suga with us to discuss his research. Hi Kyo, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please introduce yourself and your research? Hi, thank you for inviting me. My name is Kiyo Suga. I'm a fifth year PhD student at Second Language Studies. I used to be a second language teacher back in Japan. And then after that, I moved to do my second master's at MSU TESOL program. And then after that, I joined Second Language Studies PhD program. And now currently, I'm working on my PhD studies. I'm interested in how speaking and writing practice help second language learners to acquire second language grammar. Where are you from, Kyo? I'm originally from Hiroshima, that's the west part of Japan. And then I moved to Tokyo to attend my undergrad. Yeah, that's cool, because it seems that your research is connected to your story. Right, so I struggled with learning second language. So I was very curious about how I could have studied English more effectively or in a more efficient way. Mm, That's very interesting. That adds a sort of passion to this project. Mm -hmm. Okay, just to set the foundation, what are the major components of second language acquisition? The most important key elements to second language acquisition is the amount of input. Input is the amount of reading and listening. So this is the most fundamental elements of second language acquisitions. If you think about catching fish, you may want to throw a larger net instead of trying to use a small net, right? So if you cast a large net, you can get more fish. Similarly, if you want to acquire more second language knowledge, you need to be exposed to a lot of reading and listening. All the second language researchers agree with the importance of input, but not all researchers agree with the importance of output, speaking and writing, because basically speaking and writing can be produced based on the knowledge you have in your head. But based on my hypothesis and also previous output studies indicated that in order to get more input, you need to be pushed to produce output speaking and writing. Because after speaking and writing in your second language, maybe you will notice that you should have said in a different way. And then after reducing output or after noticing the holes or gaps in your knowledge, you are likely to pay more attention to what you should learn in a second reading or in a subsequent reading or listening. So I'm focusing on how output push learners to pay attention to target grammatical forms. So in order to develop your linguist knowledge, you need to read and listen a lot. And also you need to engage in speaking and writing practice. There's multiple ways that a person can learn a second language, whether mm-hmm. that's reading or, you know, formal classroom, or some people even recommend like watching kids shows from that language. How do you think that the language acquisition might differ between someone who learns from listening and someone who looks at grammar? If you are exposed to second language, you will be able to acquire the language. And one of the key elements of second language acquisition is the amount of reading and listening. So your claim is correct, but at the same time, you won't be able to spend the entire day to study second language or the entire year as you acquired first language. So you need to spend less time to study second language. 
especially for more second language learners, they only have time while they are in a classroom. So in a case, maybe just being exposed to the target language is not good enough for them. So that's why second language learners need instruction. How do you go about conducting your research? So second language studies can be done in various ways. But in my research, I'm using eye tracking devices to examine how second language learners read passages while they're learning grammar. So I'm observing how learners pay attention to certain grammatical forms while they are reading passages and then see how that attention is related to grammar learning. Okay, cool. So I don't know too much about eye tracking technology. Mm-hmm. But just from hearing, it seems like that's a newer technology. What is the traditional way of measuring the ability for someone to learn a second language? So traditional way to study second language learning is to use pre-tests and post-tests. And then researchers conduct several teaching sessions. So after comparing the results of the pre-tests and post-tests, and then if the learners improve their performances, researchers can attribute the gains to the treatment sessions. This kind of study is called product-oriented research because we are focusing on what happened after doing the test. But I'm more interested in how learners process while they're studying. So Mm -hmm. eye tracking is basically recording their reading behaviors. So if they are learning grammar while they're reading, we can see what happened while they're reading and then we can compare the results with the learning gain. Is there a particular language that you're looking at? So any language can be fine, especially my research. I used to be a Japanese teacher at MSU. So for my first qualifying paper, I focused on Japanese, but now I'm focusing on English as a second language. Just to clarify, when you're using this eye tracking, you're aiming to understand how people read and look at grammar and understand their new language that they're attempting to acquire? Mm -hmm. So basically, eye tracking is recording learners' eye movement behaviors. So I'm focusing on fixation duration. So if learners look at some parts more closely or spend more time to process words or grammar parts, that indicates where learners pay attention to while they're learning. And are you assessing the extent to which people have learned their language in relation to that eye tracking? So I'm also using pre-test and post-test. At the same time, I'm also using eye-tracking data to see how much learners pay attention to the focused grammar while they're learning. And then I will see their learning gains based on the results of the pulse test. This seems like a pretty straightforward idea. Is the main hypothesis that when you're doing this eye-tracking and you see that someone is focusing on a sentence a little bit more deeply than someone who is not, Are they expected to learn the grammar superior than the person that has less eye-tracking focus? Yes, that's my expectations. So in order to learn grammar, we need to pay attention to the target grammar while we are learning. But we didn't see how learners pay attention to the grammar while they are learning. So with the eye-tracking technology, we can examine the process of learning. And we can also objectively see how much time they spend to process target grammatical forms while they're learning. You mentioned earlier that you do a pre-test and a post-test to assess how well grammar was acquired. 
But how do you go about measuring grammar, being、mm-hmm. that written grammar is very different from spoken grammar, and it's natural to have more errors in spoken、mm-hmm. grammar? Right, right. So previously, researchers used fill-in-the-blank tests or grammar correction tests, but these tests can only show learners' explicit knowledge. Explicit knowledge is the type of second language knowledge that learners can explain. But when it comes to speaking, it's more difficult. So currently, more researchers started to use oral tests, and some researchers use oral interview to measure learners' grammar knowledge. If they cannot use in you know, an oral mode, that shows the limitations of learners' grammar knowledge. So in my study, I use both type of tests that measures learners' explicit knowledge, which is the knowledge about the grammar, and also I'm using oral repeating task to test whether the learners can actually use the grammar knowledge in a real communication. What are your subjects doing when you're measuring their eye tracking? Basically, in my dissertation study, learners read a passage, and then they are asked to retell the passage. And then after that, they'll read the passage again. So I created three different instructional conditions: oral retelling, and written rewriting, and just listening. And then I measure how much time they spend to read the target grammatical forms in a first reading and second reading. So, based on my hypothesis, oral retelling group and written rewriting group spend more time to target grammatical forms in the second form because while they're writing or retelling, maybe they will realize what they should have said more correctly. Basically, they can notice the gap between what they actually said or what they actually write and what they should have said or what they should have written more accurately in the second time. So I'm comparing their fixation duration on the target grammatical forms in the first reading and second reading. And then, if they spend more time in the second reading, which indicates that learners pay attention to the grammar after producing output or after writing or speaking. Are you looking at the grammar by looking at where in the sentence their eyes go to?、Mm-hmm. In my study, I'm only focusing on one specific target grammatical form, which is past hypothetical conditional, which is if had had would have done、mm. something. This grammar is highly complex for all the second language learners. So even if you have a high linguistic proficiency, many international students still have trouble with using this grammatical form. So I focused on how they learn the past hypothetical conditional after engaging in rewriting task or retelling task. Thank you for the clarification, and that leads my mind to something else, which is the subjects that are in this assessment. They may come from different backgrounds in different cultures that may be more exposed to this past hypothetical conditional form. And how do you control for that difference in starting level? Yeah, there must be some influence based on participants' first language, right? But in my study, I just recruited all the international students, so it is more important to recruit enough participants in my study, and that I have access to only limited numbers of international students on campus within the limited time. So yes, there must be some influence by participants' first language, grammar, and also their culture. As you mentioned, you're obviously a little bit restricted by the sample population that、mm-hmm. you have access to. But 
I feel like I remember learning that younger students and kids in particular can acquire second language and multiple languages a lot easier. Is that something that you're thinking about or looking into? So age affects a big issue in second language acquisition. But in my study, I'm not focusing on the influence by the participants' age because I'm only recruiting undergraduate international students. So basically, I'm focusing on how adult second language learners acquire grammar through slowly retelling tasks or slowly rewriting tasks. I can see some of the potential problems of what makes this research important. But I'm curious to know, why did you get started in this topic? First, I started to investigate this topic with my former advisor, who was the seminal researcher on the topic of output instruction. So I was in his seminal course, and then I was interested in my advisor's seminal study on output and learner noticing and also grammar learning. And then some research conducted a replication study of my advisor's seminal studies, but I saw inconsistent results in terms of how learners pay attention to the grammar or the overall learning gains. Previous studies have methodological issues to examine learners' noticing or how much learners pay attention to the target grammatical form after producing output because they relied on interview method or note-taking or maybe retrospective questionnaires to investigate how much they pay attention to the target grammar while they are learning. But these measures does not give you objective data that shows how they process the grammar while they are learning. So in a case, in a second language studies program, we have eye tracking device. So I wanted to take advantage of having eye tracker so that I can contribute to demystify the impact of speaking and writing Mm. on grammar learning. Yeah, very cool. It seems like you're pushing the methodology by using this eye tracker instrument instead of using the more subjective methods of assessing these people that are in these studies. In the context of your study, is there a difference between people who have studied grammar formally in a classroom setting versus people who have acquired their second language via reading something like a children's Mm -hmm. book? Usually we see the differences between naturalistic learners who acquire grammar or second language through exposures or through the use of second language and the learners who study second language in a classroom. But we are still not sure whether adult second language learners can naturalistically acquire native level proficiency. That's an empirical question that's almost impossible to conduct the research you won't be able to spend that much time. Do you think there's a difference between people who are learning English as their second language in the United States versus learning English as a second language in somewhere like Japan, for example? Definitely. So we call learners study English in the United States as English as a second language, which is called ESL. So in an ESL context, learners can access a large amount of input because in the environment they live, people use English. So they can access more input outside the classroom. But in a English as a foreign language context, such as in Japan or Korea or China, they do not have access on naturalistic input outside the classrooms. So the only opportunity for them to acquire second language is through classroom instruction. So we see much difference. Naturalistic language learners can attain higher fluency 
or higher complexity uh, in their second language utterances, but we are not sure about the accuracy because sometimes second language learners learn grammar very intensively back in their home country and then they know more about accurate grammar. But when it comes to using, they need to practice more. So there's always advantage and disadvantages and differences depending on the context. Why is this research important? Second language acquisition research is very fascinating for me because the findings of the study can provide implications for learners and second language teachers. So it shows empirical facts to language teachers so that they can incorporate more evidence-based language teaching practices in their classroom. So the implications of findings from second language research is like a medical science for doctors. Otherwise, they need to rely on their learning experiences, but sometimes scientific fact is counterintuitive. So some teachers need to incorporate more evidence-based language teaching to help their learners. Thank you, Kia, for coming and telling us about your research and how second language learners can more effectively learn that second language. It was really interesting. We learned a lot. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah. thank you for teaching me. Thank you so much. There are a lot of topics we can investigate, so that's why second language acquisition is a very fascinating field.